The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... And they wrapped me right up there, took me down to the ICU, called my husband at 2 o'clock in the morning and said, "Can do we have permission to intubate your wife? And my husband said, if you're asking if you can save my wife's life, yes, please intubate her. I'm on my way. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. How's it going? And welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. As always, it is my absolute pleasure that you are here this week. And I said it last week, I'm pretty sure I actually just say it every week, but give yourself credit for listening to this podcast because it proves that you are proactive with your diabetes management, rather than being overly reactive. And as we always say on this podcast, the more you know, inevitably, the quote-unquote easier living with diabetes is going to be. So this week's episode of the podcast, I had an unbelievable conversation with a current member of our Type 1% program, Karen Green. And this is a an episode that me and Karen wanted to record for a while. We've been trying to get this going for a while and there's been schedule conflicts and these kind of things. So we were delighted to finally get it done. But Karen is just a fantastic person and she's been inside our Type 1% program for a number of months now and she's just been an absolute pleasure to work with. And somebody who is honest with herself, is honest with us and just works really hard and works really honestly and like I said is really proactive with how she manages her diabetes and essentially how she faces challenges that inevitably come with a life with type 1 diabetes so Karen just personally you're uh, you're an absolute pleasure to work with but basically me and Karen wants <laughs> me and Karen wanted to get this episode going the very first day we spoke. So the first call that myself and Karen had, even before she actually came into the Type 1% program, we were briefly speaking about her introduction to diabetes and essentially her diagnosis story. And 
to say that Karen's diagnosis story is dramatic, to say it is frightening, to say that it is intense, is an understatement. And you will hear all about that in much more detail from Karen in this episode. And I remember the very, the very first conversation we had, we were talking about this in a bit more detail. And I was like, wait, 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 Karen, Karen, Karen. I'd love to do a podcast about this. I said, I'd love to record a podcast about this story and hear the finer details for the first time in this podcast. And as you will see, there are moments in this episode where I'm quite literally lost for words. I'm quite literally speechless. So I'm just going to stop talking (laughs) and I will let you get into this episode. Enjoy it as much as I did, despite the fact it is terrifying and dramatic. But Karen is an unbelievable person, an unbelievable speaker, uh, a fantastic storyteller, as you will see. So yeah, enjoy. Take it easy. I think it probably started in uh, 2015 or so. And um, my doctor told me that I, my blood sugars were high. My A1C was a little bit too high for where he wanted me to be. And so started me on um, metformin. And um, so I took metformin and that was it. It was just a one, you know, one or two tablets a day, whatever it was, and gave me a meter. And I would see him every three months or something like that. And when I would test my sugar, I would notice that I'm 400, 500, 600, and nothing that I'm doing is helping. I'm going to see him every three months and he's telling me I need to lose weight. He's telling me I need to eat better. He's telling me, you know, keep taking the metformin and you're just not doing this correctly. Okay. I'm five foot nine. I think I was probably 145 pounds at that time. And I'm probably in better shape than I've been in a long time. And just nothing is is doing anything. I'm taking metformin and nothing's happening. I'm at school. I'm calling my doctor in tears at my blood sugar 600. We know how that feels. I feel awful. I'm trying to teach a class and my sugars are through the roof. They're not coming down because I'm not taking insulin at this time. I'm just getting sicker and sicker and sicker without knowing it, you know? So um, fast forward to March of 2016. And um, well, I guess probably a month or so before that, I see my doctor and he's like, you know, you're not getting any better if you don't figure this out, you're going to have to learn how to inject insulin, which terrified me. I'm 45 years old. I've, I've been to the doctor once a year for 25 years for my yearly physical. There's nothing wrong with me. And now all of a sudden he's telling me I'm a type two diabetic. I'm going to have to inject insulin. Life changing. I don't want that. I need to. Okay. So what can I do? I'm doing the same thing. I'm eating better than I've ever eaten. I'm exercising. I'm I'm muscles. I'm I'm losing weight. I'm doing great. And um I go into or this week at school, um I'm a teacher and I'm a math uh I'm the math chairperson at my school. So I have this big math night coming up. 
And um, it's it's just, you know, 400 people coming to the school. I'm putting on this this humongous uh, uh, program in the in the cafeteria where we're serving dinner, we're we're doing um, we're doing uh, giving things away. We're doing raffles and things like this. So I am stressed beyond belief. So I'm thinking this is what's also making me feel even sicker than I have felt in the past couple months. My sugars are still high. I'm I'm thinner than ever. I'm losing weight. Um, and I have no idea what's happening. So we have this math night. Everything goes off. I'm exhausted. That weekend, we're supposed to be moving. Oh, my gosh. My husband and I are moving from one apartment to another the following Friday. That weekend, I'm sitting in a chair in my house, and I'm just, I can't move. I'm exhausted. I'm sick. I'm nauseous. And friends come over to pick up some some furniture, and I'm the first person that's going to get up and help and get up and help. And I, I couldn't even move. I remember sitting in the corner going, "I I just can't help you. I'm sorry. So not like me." They take the stuff and they leave. Monday morning, I get up, take my shower, I go to work, and we have a meeting that morning. And my principal um, has has the meeting up front in the conference room and I'm actually asleep in the kids nurse's office because I feel so sick. And so I go to the meeting and she just must be looking at me and saying, you look awful. And so she's like, you know, green, go home and go to the doctor. And I was like, no, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. She's like, go home, make a doctor's appointment. And I said, Oh, okay. I I will. So I go home and, um, get in to see the doctor that day. And this is a, this is a doctor that's, that's told me I'm a type two diabetic and that I need to take care of myself better. And it's my doing of all of this. So I get to my doctor and thank goodness he's not there that day. (laughs) Thankfully, I see a nurse practitioner and she gives me a flu swab. It's March you know, kids are always sick. I'm in the, I I teach at school. She gives me a flu swab and she says, no, you're, you don't have the flu. That's not it. And so she sits for a minute and she's thinking, and she's thinking, and she's like, will you do one more thing for me? And I said, yeah, sure. And she's like, will you give me a urine sample? Said, sure. I will. I go in, you know, give her the, the sample. She comes back in a few minutes later and she says, you're going to have to go to the hospital. And I said, okay, what's going on? And she said, you're in kidney failure. What? I'm kidney failure. I said, what if I don't go to the hospital? And she says, you're, you're going to die. I'm sobbing. I'm like, what is happening? You know? So I, I get in my car, I drive the couple minutes to my to the side of the street and I, I call my husband. I'm like, what are you doing? And he says, um, you know, just just sitting here. And I said, can you can you take me to the hospital? And he says, yeah, what's going on? I said, I, I'm in kidney failure and I don't even know what that means. You know, I've I've been healthy my whole life, except for this last eight or nine months. I have no idea. So we go home and he takes me to the hospital on Monday you know, and that was the beginning of the next three weeks. You touched on eight or nine months there, Karen. 
Was that the time between when you were initially told you were type 2 diabetic to when you were now rushed into the hospital saying you've kidney failure and if you don't go, potentially you're going to die? So essentially what you're saying for eight or nine months consistently leading up to that moment, your blood sugars were on average like four, five, six hundred. Right. I think um, I actually, I I forgot to say, he did send me to an endocrinologist and that was my first experience with an endo ever. And I think my A1C, the the first time was like 16.5 or something like that. And the endocrinologist, it's so weird. Like he literally sat 10 feet away from me across the room and like this, just looked at me and said, you know, you don't, you don't look diabetic. Oh my God. I, what does that mean? I don't look, you're like, you're the doctor. I don't understand what that means. So like, he's telling me, I look I like I'm diabetic and you know, the metformin's not working, but I don't know what to do and sent me off and just kept on going like that. Never did a blood test on me to check for the antibodies. So you're, you're telling me, I don't mean to laugh because it's funny. I, I'm laughing because it's, I'm shocked. You're telling me, Karen, yeah. an endocrinologist saw your A1C was above 16 and sent you on your way because you, quote unquote, didn't look diabetic. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then my... I, Either one of these doctors were were the right fit for me. I'll say that, <laughs> you know, both both said I was type two. And this is where, you know, I think they talk about LADA and latent autoimmune di- diabetes. And so I've even had type one say, well, you're not really type one. Like, I don't know what happened. I don't know if my pancreas just took longer than an initial shock. I, I don't know what happened with me. I am a different case, but they never did a simple blood test on me. Never. So, so I for, just got sicker those eight months. I was just sick. So for eight or nine months, blood sugars were essentially above 400. For 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 us to put that into perspective for anybody in Ireland or anywhere else who uses millimoles, 400 is 22.2 millimoles. And I'm here thinking, if I spike up to 22 ever, I feel horrific. And it's almost difficult to comprehend spending eight or nine months up at that level. And I am surprised that you didn't have... Let's call it difficulty earlier on. So presumably, Karen, you were under the impression that, okay, I am type two because you've been told you're type two. You're taking metformin. It's not doing anything. You're obviously trying to move and exercise more, which is difficult in itself, given the fact that you have pretty much zero energy. You're also actively trying to change your diet and eat, quote unquote, better food. But nothing was still changing. Were you over this period of time becoming more concerned? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I remember just feeling awful and thinking that, you know, something had to change. I, I remember being, I mean, thirsty, like crazy, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm a teacher. So I'm in the classroom, just guzzling water, trying to hold kids together, trying to teach math, you know, and, and I knock on my neighbor's door every 20 minutes, like having to use the restroom because you drink all that water, <laughs> you know? So it, it was this constant, I would be in checking my sugar and just in tears, calling my doctor going, you know, nothing, I'm at 500 today, like nothing is working. And I'll, you know, I'll see you in a month, you know, like nothing, nothing was seeming to be any danger to them to, to either one of these doctors was just like, you know, I'll see you in a couple months when your next checkup. But if you, they really put it on me and said, you know, it's, it's your fault. You're a type two. You're obviously not eating correctly. You're obviously not, you know, active enough. And to be honest, that last weekend before I went in the hospital on that Monday, I had dropped 10 pounds that weekend. So I was like crawling, like I couldn't, there, there was nothing. My body was saying, okay, that's it. You're done. You know, like you are done. It's, it is just insanity that neither one of them could take a finger prick or already look at the existing numbers and say, okay, she's been, well, she potentially has been type two for X amount of time. Maybe we should pay attention to the fact that she potentially could be type one. Like, I just don't understand that. But... Okay, let's okay, let's let's jump forward because I feel myself becoming frustrated. Yeah. So the yeah. nurse practitioner says you have to go to hospital now. You call your husband, you say you have to go to hospital now. Your kidneys essentially are failing. Then what happens? So so we go to the hospital and it's a Monday Monday afternoon and the hospital is is crazy busy. I remember being it was just crazy. So I go to the hospital, we go to the emergency room and um I I, I want to say I remember the intake and I remember the nurse. You know how some nurses can just smell and she's like you're a diabetic, right? And I was like, "Yes." That that was the first time that ever happened. And so they they get me into a, you know, one of the little bays and they're checking on me and I, I they probably gave me um insulin but they they had to put me in the hallway because it was such a crazy day. So I'm in a hallway in a bed. And I remember there was a woman who backed up right to the backside of me. And she was, I don't know, maybe um, she, she was off her meds or something. She was so perturbed and just screaming the whole time that she wanted her medicine. And she would move in her bed and she would just smack into my bed. So I was getting so frustrated, so antsy. I And I'm uncomfortable as it is. I'm sick. I'm sick. But I'm trying to sleep in this hallway where people are just going back and forth. So the doctor comes out and says, um, okay, we're going to, um, we're going to send you home. Um, and we want you to come back tomorrow. And there, they still argued way after this to say who said it was okay to send me home 
And who said, no, 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 she should be staying overnight in the hospital. In any case, I sat there for hours. They filled me full of fluids, bag of fluid, bag of fluid, bag of fluid, and said, okay, go on home and just come back tomorrow and we'll have a room for you tomorrow. So we go home. I don't sleep very well that night. We get back in the car, go back to the hospital that morning. And we're sitting in the check-in area and I'm in a, I'm in a regular chair and I'm looking around and there's probably three different groups of people. And I remember, okay, they've got to be next. And I remember being just ready to get this going because I knew something was, was severely wrong. And so they take those people and then the next people get called and then the next people get called and literally I don't remember getting in the wheelchair. I don't remember getting to my room. I really don't remember anything after that until two weeks later when I woke up from a coma. So everything that happened from that sitting there, I had gotten obviously very, very sick. I guess um, the night nurse came in, thankfully, and this is a nurse that had been a nurse for four or five weeks. That's it. She was brand new. And I guess she came in and she was asking me questions while I was laying in the bed in the room. And she went back to the floor nurse and she said, something's wrong with her. She's not right. Like she's trying to be funny because I'm a very sarcastic, I'm a teacher. (laughs) I'm a very funny person. And she said, she's just, there's something not right about her. And I don't remember this conversation. This is secondhand. And so the floor nurse came and um, I guess he asked me some questions and he was like, yeah, something's, something's very off. And they wrapped me right up there, took me down to the ICU, called my husband at two o'clock in the morning and said, can, do we have permission to intubate your wife? And my husband said, if you're asking if you can save my wife's life, yes, please intubate her. I'm on my way. And so I was in a coma for two weeks. And when I woke up, I'm a type one diabetic. (laughs) So. Just insanity. So. Yeah. I'm trying to find some words here, Karen. Process. You. So everything from those last couple of conversations is basically coming back to you when you wake up. So can you remember, or what do you remember first after waking up or do you remember Um, waking up? After waking up, after waking up, they put me, I remember um, being in a room and a nurse kind of just, she was all covered up. All I could see, she had these big, beautiful blue eyes. And I remember being so, so angry. I was so mad. I don't, I didn't know if it was a day, an hour. Like, obviously at this point, I had no idea that I had been in a coma for two weeks. Um, So this nurse is taking care of me and I'm, I'm swearing at her, get the F off me. Like, what are you doing? Like, I'm furious. And my husband is like, Karen, she's trying to help. Like, she's she's helping you. And he's like she's telling the nurse she's never like this. And the nurse was like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. And I was like, 
no, I don't think you understand. Get the app. Like I was so mad. And everybody says it was like the drugs that keep you, you know, that they, they give you. Cause I was so, oh my gosh. Like, but I, the, the first things I remember were just being so angry and then everything kind of started to piece itself back together. Um, I would, I got sent to my, to a regular room after I was uh, with this nurse for a little while. So I'm in a regular room by myself and they bring me breakfast. Again, I don't, nobody has talked to me. I have no idea that it's been two weeks. I have no idea. And they bring me breakfast. I have no idea. I'm into, I had an intubation tube. They give me um, scrambled eggs and I take a spoon. A, I'm hungry. I take a big spoonful of scrambled eggs, <clears throat> spit it across, hits the wall. And I'm like, what's wrong with my throat? Like, I, I don't even, I can't swallow anything. What's happening? So I had no idea that I had had a tube down my throat. I had no idea. Nobody was there. My husband was at work. And so doctors just started coming into my room. Um, I sent you a list. I had like eight doctors on the board in front of me. And um, I had a cardiologist come in. Do you remember me? No, I don't remember you. Um, he tells me that I had broken heart syndrome and never heard of it before. But I guess your heart stops and it's not it's not uh, working properly. So I had to go through stress tests and all this other stuff to make sure that it was not a cardiology problem. Um, a cancer specialist comes in because they were going to open up my stomach and do exploratory surgery because they had no idea what was wrong with me. And they said, every time they would push on my abdomen, I would scream bloody murder. No, I don't remember any of that. Um, I had... Uh, uh, I had a, a tube in the side, the pick line in my neck. And then I also had a tube for dialysis. So I had a nephrologist come in and tell me that I would have to start doing dialysis because I needed dialysis. And then I had, I think it was the, the floor nurse that, um, that got me down to the ICU. He came in, he said, do you remember me? And I said, no, I'm sorry, but thank you. You know? And then I had, two or three of the ICU doctors come in and they were like, I, I cannot believe you are alive. Like we had no idea what was wrong with you. I cannot believe you're alive. Three different doctors, three different times were like, do you remember anything? And I said, not a thing. And so they told me, I mean, I was in a coma for two weeks and my my brother came from Florida. My sister came from the other side and they sat with me and I had, you know, teachers coming in and sitting in the ICU with my family and stuff like that. And it was just <laughs> and the best doctor that came in was the endocrinologist. It wasn't my my regular doctor did make the rounds. He still thought I was type two. After all of this, he asked me. So are you going to start to do the right thing now? A new endocrinologist came in and said, I have some paperwork for you when you leave the hospital. I would love to be your endocrinologist. 
Um, and I looked at the, the paperwork, I remember, and I said, it says I'm a type one doc, I'm a type two. And he's like, you are very much a type one diabetic. <laughs> and that's how I found out I was a type one diabetic. Karen, like, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. It, so just so I get this right, because I, I just want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. After all of this, you've woken up from the two-week coma. Everything has happened. And your current doctor at the time then tries to question you on, are you going to do what's, what needs to be done? Oh, my God. Yeah. How did you, how did you react to that? Um, I honestly thought I was still a type two with that. I, I had no idea really what all happened. Um, I, I, I really, and even the doctor said they, they had no idea. My, I think my, my body just said enough is enough. Like you're not, this is not the, the right. And my body just finally said like, we're shutting down until you get the right help. And, and thankfully, I mean, people questioned the hospital that I went to and I said, I I'm alive. Like, mm. I don't, it makes no difference to me what hospital I was at. You could have called it the worst hospital where I was, but I'm alive and they figured it out. So mm. I'm okay with that. Like I wasn't about to question anybody. I was so thankful to be okay and alive. And I will say I did not go back to that doctor. <laughs> so oh. Oh, I'm thankful for that card to say the least. Um, yeah. But look, as you say, the fact that you walked out is the most important part of it. How did your husband deal with the whole thing while you were in the coma? Um, I'd say it was really not, it was really not easy for him. Um, as I told you, I going back to the beginning of the story, that weekend before I was really ill. We were moving that next Friday. We were moving apartments. I had not packed one single box, nothing. So I had such, I, I was at the school I was at for 15 years total. And apparently what happened is one person called everybody and said, they're supposed to move on Friday. And everybody came over with boxes and packing tape and wine <laughs> and they had a packing party and they got my whole place packed up and they got my husband moved. And, um, I mean, he really thought, he really thought I was a goner. My, my brother thought for sure that I wasn't going to make it. Um, my sister had taken pictures, not of me, she says, but she took pictures and I wish I could have it to share with you of all the machines that were around me when I was in the ICU. And I mean, I look at that picture and it, it breaks my heart. It's like, wow, like how, how did I ever make it? And, um, my husband just said he would sit and talk to me and, and, you know, hold my hand. And, and, um, he, he was able to, I had another friend at school that said, I will take care of everybody school-wise and I will keep them informed. So all John had to do was let her know what was happening. She took care of that side. 
And then my sister took care of my family. So my, my husband would really report to two people. So he did not get text messages. He just wouldn't respond. He would tell my sister and my friend, and they would just disseminate information to everybody, you know? And I mean, I, when I woke up and I, I grabbed my phone when I was able to, and just reading the Facebook posts, you know, my husband finally, after a week said, I'm sure a lot of you have heard, but yes, this is happening. And I just read those posts and just, I mean, sobbed, just cried at just the people that would respond and the things they were saying about me, you know, were just, it's something that a lot of people don't get to see because people don't come out of things like that. And they don't know what people think about them. And to read all these messages from former students and, you know, and, and really have a new appreciation for, for life and relationships and not taking anything for granted was, I think what he got out of it and absolutely what I got out of it. What does it feel like Karen to go back and tell the story again in such detail? It It's tough. I don't, I don't do it very often. Um, I mean, I, I think about it and every once in a while, my husband will look at me and say, I'm so glad you made it. I'm so glad you lived. Um, but it definitely, I mean, it, it, it puts into perspective. One thing is the health field. You know what I mean? Not, not every doctor is, we, we laugh in, about it and say, you know, not every doctor is in the top percent of their class. <laughs> you know, they're still practicing doctors, but they're not especially in the diabetic world, we talk about it all the time that, you know, a lot of regular doctors, just general doctors don't know the difference between type one and type two. I had a, at one point I had a nurse come in and she was a type two diabetic and she was giving me my shot, my insulin before food or my night shot or whatever. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful in any way, she was a good 300 pounds. She was a big woman. And all she did was scold me and say, you need to get this under control. I control my diabetes. You need to control yours. You shouldn't be in here right now. Every nurse that came in other than her read my whole file and would come in and hold my hand and say, oh my God, honey, you have been through it, haven't you? Every other nurse was so wonderful and so unlike every time I have a, I, I talk to a nurse, I thank them for what they do. And they say, you don't have to do that. And I say, you have no idea how much I have to do that because there's somebody in my position somewhere or with something else that's been misdiagnosed or whatever. And what they do in the hospital to make you feel comfortable and, and okay is unbelievable. It was that one nurse that just, I was like, wow, seriously? Like, yes, I'll get in control of my diabetes, you know? <laughs> so then I had to do, um, after all that, I had to do three months of dialysis, learn how to do my MDI. And, you know, just, it was a whole bunch of stuff after that even. So... So what did the recovery look like for you, Karen? And like you come out of this coma, you've gotten through it, thankfully. What did the next few weeks or even couple months look like for you? Just trying to get back to living your life. That was part one of this episode. 
If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list. 